As we are finally uh, getting to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, uh, week number 4 of this series that we've begun, uh, I was I was reading some stuff this week, uh, or a few weeks ago, by J.D. Greer as he talked about how amazing it is what's about to happen in this story. Like this thing called the church. And, and experts can't figure out why it worked. Like when we think from an American perspective, this thing should not have worked. These were not influential people. They weren't educated. They weren't popular. They weren't powerful. I mean, they were fishermen and carpenters for the most part. And it only got worse from there. <laughs> How in the world did they have this influence? It doesn't make any sense. And at that time, the only movements that existed were violent. We don't see a person in the name of Jesus pick up a weapon for the first 400 years, which is when she advanced the most. This isn't conquest. This shouldn't work. And, and, not only did the people who started this movement not get rich, they actually lost everything. We're a couple pages from persecution into the story. How did this work? And out of this unlikely group of people who didn't get rich from this and weren't super influential and weren't ready to be violent, God turned the world upside down and launched this thing called the church. Do you realize that in human history, this is the first recorded movement that was multi-ethnic? There's no recording of any movement from any religion or any denomination that was multiracial. And there's no record of any movement that honored women. This was, and not only did they not get rich, they were generous to the outcast and forgotten. This movement, unlike any other, was most unlikely. How can we possibly explain it? That's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to find out the secret sauce for why this thing changed the world. Grab your Bible or tablet or phone or whatever it is that you use. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we'll invite you to join with us in our tradition where we hold this up and say a creed together before we dive in. So I invite you to hold up your Bible in the air and uh, let's say this together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. It's page 855 if you're using one of those Bibles from the seats in front of you. Acts chapter 2. What we're actually going to do before we dive into Acts chapter 2 is we are going to uh, properly finish Acts chapter 1 because we kind of rushed to the finish line last week. And I think the last verse deserves just a couple minutes of attention. Um, and so I, we're actually going to begin by looking back to chapter number 1 this morning. Just the last verse, verse 26, says, And they cast lots for them, 
And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the other 11 apostles. So, um, again, if, if you missed last week, there was this idea of Judas uh, obviously betrayed Jesus. And so this group of 12, Jesus had picked 12, which makes sense for a Jewish rabbi to pick 12, representing 12 tribes of Israel. And so when one of them was gone, they felt like they needed a 12th. And nowhere is that actually commanded in the recorded teachings of Jesus. Maybe they were just so Jewish, they felt like there had to be 12. I don't know. But they decide to pick a 12th. The one guy who had three names, um, Joseph, who was called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, um, and then Matthias. And I just want us to notice they cast lots. I just think that deserves a little attention. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have the um and the thum. Uh, casting lots is all throughout the Old Testament. Okay? Um, as, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a great Old Testament proverb. Uh, Proverbs 16.33 says in the New Living Translation, We may throw the dice... But the Lord determines how they fall. And all of y'all Choctaw fans are like, I have a new life verse to put on my Instagram feed. This is, put this on my headstone one day. <laughs> there was, God endorsed at that time a, a methodology of making major decisions. This is a major decision, right? The 12 apostles who were going to launch the church. And it seems crazy to us. I hope it seems crazy to you that they rolled the dice. I hope that doesn't seem normal. I hope that's not how you got married to the person next to you. Fred or Bob? Eh, oh, Fred. <laughs> like, I don't know how, how you ended up in the situation that you're in. <laughs> I hope it wasn't rolling dice. Um, why are you crying? No, um, <laughs> speak Jesus, my marriage. Anyways, um, that was a normal method of decision making in the Old Testament. And here's the deal. I believe God can orchestrate information to be revealed in whatever way he sees fit because he's God and he doesn't owe us an explanation. And making a decision, I just want to say this, in the life cycle of the church, this was a pretty major decision. Uh, making leadership decisions in the body of Christ is a difficult thing. It is a hard thing. We've made it more difficult in the American church because of the constant rotation of pastors and pastoral staff, where the average tenure is around three years and coming and going, and I mean, it's a difficult thing. And so we, we see them praying and seeking the Lord, and then they roll the dice. And here's why I think that's worth bringing attention to. Because we're about to, spoiler alert, we're about to, chapter 2, see the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the reason they roll the dice is they believe Scripture needed to be fulfilled. So we see we have the Word of God, and we're about to receive the Spirit of God, and never again in the Word of God do we read about rolling the dice. Never again in the narrative of the church do we see casting lots. I just think that's worth notice, no, noting because we now have God's Word and God's Spirit. We don't have to roll the dice anymore. Amen? Okay, that was it. Let's jump into chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound 
like a mighty rushing wind to fill the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They picked their twelfth man. They're together in this one place. Which means apparently the disciples were Aggies. I got to uh. <laughs> like you can talk about speaking in tongues as a Baptist, but don't talk about A&M. OK, we see they're together in one place on Pentecost. Super quick, if you're not familiar with what what is Pentecost, there were three uh, festivals that were a really, really big deal in the Jewish law. This is the second of the third. The Feast of Passover, and then the Feast of Weeks, which here is called Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was such an important thing that the law of God actually required a Jewish male who lived 20 miles from Jerusalem or closer was required to go to Jerusalem for all three of these festivals, for Passover, for the Feast of Weeks, slash Pentecost. And for the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason that's important, and by the way, if you lived further away than 20 miles, you still had to come to one of the three. And so there is a whole lot of people showing up in this moment. Right? Uh, We tried to take the Slaters down to eat in Sundance Square last night. But between Hamilton and the stock show, I thought it was Pentecost. (laughs) What in the world? A lot of people. So there's a lot of foot traffic taking place here at Pentecost. But what I think is so interesting is in verse 1, in in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, there's two stories. There's only one sentence, but there's two stories. Go to that next slide there, Will. The day of Pentecost arrived, right? That's one story. They're all together in one place. That's another story. There's the, we're going through the routine, we're doing the rituals, we're busy, we got to travel, and God's about to pour out his spirit on his people. And, and both stories are still happening. Today, on planet Earth, there's a whole world around us doing the routine, doing the next thing, trying to keep up with it all, wishing to God that COVID would go away. There's that routine. And there's this movement of the people of God doing life among them filled with the Spirit of God. And what you notice, it says they were together in one place. And again, if if you've not been tracking with us the last three weeks, uh, you can go online and and listen to some of those. We've talked about this thing called church. It's the word ecclesia. Uh, We kind of made up the word church. And the word church might not even be the best word. Ecclesia is the best word. It's this idea of people gathered around a mission, around a cause, around an idea, around a purpose. Last week we talked about the phrase, they were in one accord, which literally means the same passion. Like we have plenty of passions in our life, but we share the top shelf. Like the number one passion is the story of Jesus. That's the uniting thing. 
And what we see here is when we're united in passion, we end up united in place. They're together in a spot. That's a healthy thing to be together in a spot when we're able. Right? Seems really simple. But it matters. The the coming together of the people of God is what ecclesia is. And so we've we've done a little bit, and if you're not into history, then those little rabbit trails have bored you the last couple of weeks. Uh, so f- feel free to be bored again for a second. Um, we've talked about some kind of the historical context of this thing called church. And I've told you for a couple of weeks that we were going to talk about where did we get the word? Like how did we get from ecclesia to church, right? So here's a couple nerd minutes for the historical trend of where did we get from ecclesia to church and here here's the here's the answer we have no idea there's no agreement among like the brilliant historical scholars who are like where did this word come from and people who have nothing better to do they actually argue about this a lot where did the word church come from and so i I want you to look at this um this kind of train of thought the most frequently believed train of thought is we have the english word church um, that we use today. And the, the main train of thought, most people would say it comes from an old English word, which originally was the word cerisi, which in old English, a lot of the sounds with a C ended up turning into sounds like a K and then even into sounds like a CH. So some would say it came from this old English word cerisi that turned into kind of like kariki and maybe chirichi. But they say that came from a German word, karika. And that found its source in the Greek, which is kyriake, which means of the Lord. So some people say the word church means we God's people, y'all. That's where we're going with that. Like what brings this super eclectic and, and weird group of ragtag people together? The Lord. Yeah, but what are you, what's the common, the Lord. But where'd you go to, the Lord. That's it. Like we wear Team Jesus jerseys. That's what brings us together. So that's one train of thought. But there are, there are some brilliant scholars who wholly disagree with this theory. And I want to share another prevailing theory because it's both hilarious to me in my warped mind and it fits a point I'm trying to make. <laughs> How's that modesty? All right. So here's the other train of thought. We've got the English word church. Did it come from the old English? No, it came from an Anglo-Saxon word. We're going a whole different direction here, which was, you see, this sounds very similar. Kirke sounds like Kirk-a or Kirik-a in the German. So it's the same kind of source. But Anglo-Saxon, if you know anything about linguistics, comes from Latin. Finds its source in Latin, which is the word circus. <laughs> and those of us who've been in church for most of our lives are like, yeah, I'm in that school of thought. <laughs> I just think that's funny. But it's also really powerful. Because the Latin word circus means ring. Three ring circus. That's redundant. The word circus is where we get our word circle. There's a whole group of scholars who believe that the word church finds its origin in the word circle. 
because we were the group of people who gathered in homes and sat in a circle and talked about Jesus and his word. Isn't that cool? And the reason I think that's cool is because here at Temple, we believe circles are better than rows, gold stars all around. And if you didn't know that's what we were about to say, you can still have a gold star because here we believe in participation trophies. Like circles are better than rows. This is not the way to do life. This might be the way to hear God's word and sing God's praises. Yes. This is not how we do life. This is not what the book of Acts looked like. We'll see. There was a very big crowd. The story that we're going to get to in Acts chapter 2 that we haven't really started yet. I know. I'm aware. We're going to see there's 3,000 people who say yes to Jesus on that day. And there's a bunch of people who say no. So that day one, there wasn't a small, tiny little crowd. They just quickly gathered in homes, in circles. And maybe, just maybe, that's what the word church means. And that's a big deal because in today's language, in the U.S. anyways, church can mean theater, show, spectator. Like, I don't dig it. I'm going to go find a better one. consumer. And and maybe it means circle. And the reason that's really important to us is because I believe that one of the best things we've ever done as a church is sit in a circle and talk about Jesus and pray for one another. Today, 11 years ago today, uh, I was installed as the interim pastor of this church. And I have felt oddly nostalgic today. And as I look back on the last 11 years, One of the most exciting things I see in our little history of my tenure here is the launch of community groups. And the fact that COVID killed that momentum is devastating to me because I believe we've lost part of our DNA. I believe we've lost part of our culture that I feel like was like the healthiest thing we were doing. And now some of you were like, I'm sick of people asking me how to pray for me. This feels too touchy-feely. I'm going to go deeper. And I know that whatever. I'm telling you it was a win from where I'm standing. And I miss it. And every time we've tried to relaunch it, we've had another outbreak. Sorry, I need an exorcism. And so I... And beyond thrilled to tell you that beginning February 16th, we are relaunching community groups. Toe touch. (laughs) And so we are encouraging you to sign up for a group at the end of the service. We'll tell you how you can do that. Uh, We want to see every person engage with a group. Um, We're going to relaunch them to get us uh, to spring, and we will have an off-ramp for summer like we normally do. So literally, with spring break in there, we're asking for a 10-week commitment. Just kidding, 11, I think. We decided to go one more week. We're asking for an 11-week commitment. 11 Wednesdays, let's sit in a circle and do church and pray for one another and carry one another's burdens and talk about Jesus together. That's what we're encouraging you to do, to sign up for a group. And that's verse (laughs) 1. 
<laughs> um, don't worry, there's only 48 verses in chapter 2. Um, we're not going to finish chapter 2 today. Some of you are like, dude, kickoff's at 2 o'clock. Okay. Verse number 2. Suddenly there came from heaven. That's how anything that matters begins. I'm afraid we might lose the significance of that a theologian named Justin Holcomb. He said the direction of the action is important in the story. This all came from him. We serve the God who comes to us in our brokenness and in our waiting. He said Pentecost illustrates the fact that God is the initiator of everything good on planet Earth. Hallelujah. And here's why that's a big deal. You might be like, well, duh, he's God and he's good and okay, whatever. No, no, no. That's unlike any religious system in the world. Every religion that's ever existed starts with humans doing the thing to try to beg the gods to visit them. Everything. We have to do the, the mystical incantations, the complicated rituals, the elaborate ceremonies, the altered behavior, the offering of sacrifices, and just maybe we can lure the gods to visit us. And we serve the story where we wait and God shows up. Isn't that incredible? That's the goodness of our God. And that's the hope, by the way, for the church today is that we would have a visitation of the manifest power of God. The hope of the world today is that heaven might come down in Ireland. We're not sending y'all. The Slaters are not the hope of Ireland. It's that God will show up in their waiting for him. And by the way, it's the hope of your cubicle too. Wherever you're going to go show up tomorrow, the hope is that heaven might follow you to work. That God would initiate a thing through his people for the good of the world. That's the story of Jesus. We don't got to wake him up or do the thing or hope we do it right. Thank goodness. He just responds to his people. To their waiting. We see that there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And we see that tongues as of fire. What does that mean? No, really, I'm asking. Does this, anybody know what a tongue of fire is? Like, I don't know. What, what does that mean? Literally, like you can look it up in the original language and you'll have no more clarity. Something pretty amazing is happening here, right? God's showing up in this dramatic way so that we'll understand this. Louis Giglio said it this way. Our God is not asking you to live in a supernatural story in your own strength. He's the one doing the supernatural. And he's inviting us in to an experience of his supernatural move. And so because it's Pentecost Day, he does it in this dramatic fashion. The wind's fire, 
And that's why everybody shows up. Like this happens in such a dramatic way that all these people who've come for the festival of weeks are like, what's going on over here, upper room? And and this is, by the way, in keeping with Scripture, Luke is the author of Acts, if you missed our first couple weeks. In Luke's Gospel, he quotes John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I just baptized y'all with water. But the one who's coming, P.S., whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so Luke's intentionally using this language to be like, This is what he was talking about. It's for his church. Throughout the scriptures, the word wind and the word spirit are actually the exact same word. We might should call him the holy wind if we were honoring the scriptures. God the Father, God the Son, and God the holy wind. I don't know. And throughout the scriptures, fire represented the manifest presence of God. Began with Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am as sent you. The pillar of fire that led the people of God by night during the exodus. The fire falling on Mount Sinai. Fire represents the the presence of God. Wind is the spirit of God. So the story actually makes a lot of sense. God's showing up. And Louis Giglio, in that sermon, he titled his sermon, The Greatest Day on Earth. Which is pretty dramatic for people who believe that there was a day that God created everything. There was a day there was an earth. (laughs) So the greatest day on earth should be the day that was earth day, right? Nope. The day that God was born. The day that he allowed himself... To be executed, to pay for our sins. The day he defeated death and got up again. Giglio contends, no, all of that was pointing to this day. Because if that happened, but he didn't pour out his spirit, this wouldn't be a thing. I don't know that I'm going to call it the greatest day on earth, because I don't think I have that much authority. But this is a big day. Pentecost. Penta, like... Like pentagram five, right? This is 50 days since Passover. That's why the, the nickname for the Feast of Weeks was Pentecost. Because 50 days from Passover, you would gather for this feast. So Jesus, the day before Passover is executed, the day after Passover, he gets up from the dead, appears in chapter one, if you remember, it says Jesus hung out with him for 40 days. And then he went to heaven, and they waited. They're just doing the thing. It's Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. Tongues of fire fall from heaven. Wind blows in the room. Spirit of God falls. And then this is what we read happens. We're going we're gonna to read a few verses here, and I'm really close to being done, so hang with me. We're going to read verses 5 through 11. They were, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Let me read it again. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under 
heaven. Global missions is not the thing the church figures out once she's stable and got things together and got things worked out. Global missions is the church. It is her foundational identity. He did not, this matters y'all, he did not pour out his spirit 49 days after Passover. He waited till there was visible, tangible representatives from every nation on earth before he poured out his spirit because that's who his spirit's for. Not just one people, not just one language, not just one skin color, not just one culture. From the beginning, His Spirit has come for every nation on earth. And so missions isn't what we do, it's who we are. Amen. If we're church, that is. And at this sound, verse 6. The multitude came together. Man, I wish I knew what that word meant, multitude. I want to know how many people ran to hear the commotion. They were bewildered because each one, each one, no one left out, no outcast. Nobody below the caste system. No slave unworthy. No person marginalized. Each one. (gasps) Oh, that's good. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Don't you think if the Spirit... The invisible spirit decided to make noise and be visible tongues of fire. Don't you think the spirit could have fallen on their ears? But he didn't. Like they could have just heard Galilean and all of a sudden it made sense to them. No, no, no. They heard it in their own language. They heard it in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, you think? Saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us, here it is again, in his own native language? Like not the language they learned when they went to school and I kind of understand it and I can sort of speak it like muy bueno, right? No, no, no. Like they heard it in their native language, in their heart language they heard it in the language their mama used to talk to them when it was storming outside glory to God and then I love Luke's a detail guy it's reason Luke's one of my favorite New Testament authors but I love that he lists all of this Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, which sounds like a disease you get from reading too many pamphlets, and Egypt, (laughs) and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling 
in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I love that he lists 15 people groups, which was not all of the known world at that time. So maybe at some point in time, he was like, okay, that's enough. Maybe they get the point. Because when we read that, because we're narcissistic Westerners, we're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But it mattered to them. It mattered to them. And that means, whatever your ancestry is, I believe you were represented on that day. Whatever it is you come from, and I don't think Ancestry.com goes back to Pentecost. (laughs) But I believe they could source you to this day. Hearing the mighty works of God. Here's what we believe. This whole idea of speaking Jesus, the reason there's a card sitting in your chair saying, how would you be part of speaking Jesus around the world? Here's what we believe. You ready? The mighty works of God are so good, we believe they deserve to be heard in every native language. Right? Amen? Because this this native language thing isn't just like they used Google Translate. You try to use Google Translate? What's that dude's name who makes the meals off of Brandon Ferris? I made a young person reference. It would have been better if I remembered his name. Dude makes meals on YouTube through Google Translate. Like he sends it through multiple languages and it's, it's all jumbled up. It's terrible. This isn't that. They, they heard it in their own context. Because context changes, right? I, I said this recently. I want to say this again. There will come a day where this groovy video wall is going to get replaced by stained glass again. There's going to be a day where some young dude is going to have taken my place and be like, I have a new idea. What if we had like a group of musicians wearing like long outfits that matched? We should build like a loft for singers. And these screens keep flickering all the time. Let's like print the music in a book and sing it, right? Like all of this stuff has a life cycle to it. The common denominator in every context, in every generation, and in every nation is the story of Jesus. Speaking Jesus in every language to every person. And the beauty of this It happens through a bunch of just regular, uneducated people. J.D. Greer said this is like the guys from Duck Dynasty speaking flawless French. (laughs) It's like Charles Haig speaking Mandarin. Like, you just don't expect it. This is the works of God being displayed among people. So let me share this story and then I'll be done. And this is a story I've actually shared a few times, but I, I can't get this story out of my head with this Speak Jesus theme. I shared the story before. If you haven't heard it, the first time I ever got to go to Nigeria to a place of hope. Uh, back then, you could fly nonstop from Houston to Lagos. Those were the days. 
And if anyone who works for United Airlines is watching this stream right now, we publicly would like to advocate to reinstitute that flight. Anyways, um, there's a long flight. And somewhere over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, we hit the biggest air pocket I've ever experienced. I've had the privilege to travel to a whole lot of places. I've spent a lot of time on airplanes. I've never experienced anything like it before or since and hope I never do. We dropped, y'all. I mean, like, all of a sudden, <sighs> dropped. The flight attendants started running full speed down the length of that plane going, Seat belts! Seat belts! Everybody's asleep. <sighs> Seat belts! Those of you who've heard this story, you know I was sitting between Josh Howard and Brian Powers, and they started fighting with each other. Chill out, dude. Brian Powers started rocking back and forth and goes, I used to work on airplanes. I know how easy it is for these to go down, man. True story. He was in the Air Force, a mechanic. Josh Howard's like, who says that? Who, who what person says those words? As all of that's happening, there is a very rotund Nigerian woman sitting behind us who goes, Jesus! And then she said, Jesus! And then she said, Jesus! Jesus! For 30 minutes. My hand is on. For what felt like 30 minutes. I promise you it was 20. And I'd roll the dice on 30. All, the only word she said was Jesus. Sometimes it was a long Jesus. Sometimes a little bit. But it was Jesus. With her Nigerian accent bellowing, Jesus. And the whole time, every time our theme has come up on this beautiful LED wall, speak Jesus. I have heard that woman, Jesus! <laughs> and here's why I retell that story again today. Because tomorrow, Walt and Karen will board a flight to go back to Nigeria to speak Jesus into that culture. And yes, John and Emily have helped run ministries, but they've just gone to Ireland to speak Jesus. Not scream Jesus. But just to speak Jesus. And by the way, the reason God has placed you in the job that he's placed you is because tomorrow there's someone who needs to hear the name Jesus. The reason he's poured out his spirit in dramatic fashion is not just to give us warm fuzzies and help us feel better about ourselves. It's that we might speak Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, into the end of the earth. Here, there, and everywhere. Jesus.